Okay, well, morning everybody, or afternoon, I think it is now. It is, in fact, the afternoon. It's great to speak, great to get to speak on a baptism. Um, I'm going to speak for about half an hour, and I'm going to talk out a story out of John chapter 6. If you've got a Bible, you might want to turn to John. If you haven't, don't worry, it's going to come up on the screen. And I'm aware in a room like this, we're going to have some people who you're just used to church. You know, you've grown up in church. Others of us, this may be the first time you've ever been either in this church or maybe even been to church. But probably for all of us, you will know this story. This will be familiar to you in some way. You'd have heard this at least to some degree. So we're going to read from verse 1 of chapter 6, and then we're going to kind of drop down a bit later on in the chapter. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up onto a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves. Now, we don't know if the boy stepped forward or whether he's got some. Here's the boy. He's got five small loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. I don't quite know where that phrase is there, but it is. Okay, it was a very green place. And they sat down. About 5,000 men were there, which means there were like thousands more than 5,000. Yeah, think festival-sized crowd. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And when they'd had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 buckets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing uh, that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Now, Jesus leaves. There's an amazing passage about going across the water and Jesus, the disciples rowing, and Jesus walks on the water. But we're going to jump down to verse uh, 25, and the people are coming after Jesus again. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, well, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. I think that's a really interesting answer, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, well, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave the bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, on a surface level, this story is about Jesus 
encountering thousands of people who have physical needs, they're hungry, and he miraculously multiplies food to meet their physical needs. It's a remarkable story. It is also, I would suggest, a very surprising story in the sense that you would not predict this kind of miracle. Now, if you and I were sitting down with Jesus and we were like mapping out the three years of his campaign in terms of mission work, I would be kind of going, okay, Jesus, I'm expecting you to do the whole blind people seeing, deaf people hearing, sick people getting well. I'm expecting that. You know, that's, those miracles I understand, people who are afflicted by evil spirits, that you're going to bring freedom. But I'm not ex- anticipating the mass catering miracle. Yeah? This is not one of those ones, you know, you're not expecting Jesus suddenly to just multiply food. But he does. This is what happens. And this story is recorded in all the Gospels. And if you like, on a surface level, this story teaches us that God cares about our physical needs. He cares about how we are physically, how we are financially. He cares about how we're doing in terms of our uh, relational issues, our mental health. All those things matter to God. In fact, if you read Matthew 6, if you're somebody who gets prone to anxiety, read Matthew 6. Because in Matthew 6, Jesus teaches again, he goes, do not worry about tomorrow. If you're the kind of person, or maybe you're in a season of your life where just you wake in the middle of the night and you're instantly concerned. There are certain things that are pressing in on you. Matthew 6 is an amazing chapter to read and try and kind of think about because Jesus says in Matthew 6, don't worry about those things. Your Father knows you need them. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear. He knows. In fact, he ends the passage by saying, you know, seek first my kingdom and all these things will be given to you as well. That's not to say Jesus is going to give us bigger cars and bigger houses. It's saying God cares about where we are and he will give us what we need, but we need to put him first. That's what it means. I've personally found that chapter very encouraging and helpful at times when I thought, oh, I'm, I'm anxious about this. It's playing on my mind, and sometimes I just need to hear God say, actually, I don't want you to, you can't affect tomorrow, Phil. Live in today. Put me first, and I'm, I care for you. So immediately in this passage, what we see is Jesus is doing that. People come, they're hungry, and he cares for their needs. And that is why thousands of people are coming. Thousands upon thousands are kind of hearing about him, seeing him, and they're coming because not only does he have words, and not only does he seem to have compassion, he has power. You know, we we live in a world, don't we, and maybe this has always been the way, but some people get in positions of power, and you think they're kind of, they make promises to us, oh, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to change that. And something inside you kind of goes, I'm wondering whether he really means what he says or whether she means what she says. Are they actually going to follow through on what they promised? Do they mean that or is that a way of getting me to vote for them or whatever it is? Or actually, I think they do mean it, but I'm not convinced they have the power or the influence to really make the changes they're suggesting they're going to do. And so we question, can people do, are people going to follow through? And yet in this story, People are coming to Jesus because not only does he have words, he has power. Like literally things are changing because they encounter him. People's physical situations, people's kind of emotional situations, they're changing because they meet Jesus and things change. That's why they're coming. Jesus does a physical miracle and it shows us on one level that he cares for our physical needs. However... When you read on, which is why we read on the last, the last the bit of John 6, what you discover is, although Jesus is miraculously multiplying food, the story is primarily not there to teach us that he cares about us physically. 
So even though he does a miracle physically about food, the primary reason he does it is not to demonstrate to us that he cares for us at a physical level. Jesus is doing something physical to demonstrate something much deeper. He's doing something on a physical level to expose and illustrate a much deeper need in us. And he wants us to understand something about who we are, what we really need, and who he is and what he can do. That's what this whole thing is about. Jesus does something to go, I want to show you what real hunger you carry. And I want to try and illustrate to you who I really am and what I can do. And people are coming, thousands of people are coming, and it's late at night, and the Bible says they're hungry. Okay, there's a few things we know from that. First of all, it means uh, there are no shops. And if there are any shops, they're closed, which means they're in the countryside. Okay, because if you've ever left London and gone outside the M25, what you discover is they close shops. Have you noticed that? It's bizarre, isn't it? I've lived in London for 25 years, and I've had to kind of remind myself, you go outside the M25 at about 6 o'clock, people have a life. It's amazing. They close their shops and they go home. It's remarkable, but a bit annoying when you're out in the countryside trying to buy food. But clearly you can tell it's the countryside because they've closed the shops. Now, that's also a good thing. This is just a little aside because you never want to go food shopping when you're hungry. If you've ever done that, yeah? You go food shopping when you're hungry. All budgetary self-restraint goes out of the window. I'll just buy it, buy it, buy those chickens from the chicken. I don't care how much they are because you're hungry. Fortunately for them, it's all closed. They're hungry. They have no solution to their issue. That's the point. Jesus knows that they need feeding. He feeds them. But actually through the feeding, Jesus is saying, the issue is not your physical hunger. The real problem you have is that you carry a hunger at a much deeper level inside of you. There's something inside of you where you want fulfillment, you want satisfaction, you want peace, you want something that makes sense of your life, you want it to join up in some way. And Jesus is saying, this physical feeding is to show you that actually you carry a much deeper longing, a much deeper fulfillment and a desire. It's like you carry a soul hunger inside you. We are, if you like, hungry people. Some of us are conscious of it. We're aware that there's, we're, we're looking for something in our hearts and in our lives that we just can't find somewhere else. Others of us are less conscious of it. But the truth is we all have it and we all manifest or show that we have it by the way we live our lives. We all search, in other words. Now this week, uh, I had one of those really annoying couple of days where I lost our keys. Yeah? You know those moments where you lose your keys? Okay? I lost our backdoor keys. Now, there are two types of people when it comes to losing things. One type of person is like pretty laid back. They go, oh, it'll show up. So my wife, Sarah, is like, hey, it will show up. Which, when you're my kind of person, is like, but like, I don't want you to feel like that. Because I, anybody else is anybody from the kind of like, hey, it will show up kind of response to losing things. Ah, there's a few chilled out people. Yeah, you should feel smug about that. That's good, okay? We want to be like you, okay? Anybody from the, I'm going to rip this house apart brick by brick until I find it. <laughs> I don't care how much collateral damage I cause. I'm going to find these keys, which would probably cost me three pounds to get cut. But I don't care because it's bugging me like, Ugh! right? And I'm lining my kids up in the end. I'm like, have you got them? Did you touch them? 
I'm like, I'm putting a spotlight on, I'm going to be Mr. Nice and Mr. Nasty all the time. Have you got them? One of my kids is like, I didn't touch them, Dad, I haven't got them. I ring them later on in the day. I'm about to search the house again. <laughs> this is true, okay? I'm, I, before I do, have you got them? He's like, I didn't touch them, Dad, I haven't got them. A minute later, this same child brings me back. Do you mean the keys that are in my pocket? <laughs> we only have three kids now. So um, he had to go. Um, I was like, oh, so good, I've got our keys back. Okay. But literally, we live our lives like that. We, we, we're searching for stuff. We are searching for things in our lives that will deliver to us some level of satisfaction and fulfillment that our soul and our heart hungers for. We're hungry people. And some of us are conscious of it, some of us are not. But we'll look anywhere. We'll look in classically in our jobs or relationships or, 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 or multiple relationships or, or approval or whatever it is. And what we're, why, the reason we throw ourselves at it is because we think maybe if I have a bit more of this, it will deliver what I really want. Maybe if I can move from this size of house to this size of house, or from this career to this career, or maybe I can earn a bit more. When I get there, then things will be better. And we know we do it because somewhere inside us we have this little phrase, which is, just a bit more. If I just have a bit more, then maybe I will arrive and be satisfied. But pretty much always what we discover is we never get more enough. We never get more enough. And what we discover is those things are not wrong in themselves necessarily, depending on what they are. But none of them are ever designed to meet the needs that we most carry in our hearts. No great career will ever fully satisfy what you most long for. We never quite get more enough. And in this story, what we find is Jesus does something physically, which we're told is like an abundance. It's like there's food left over. Huge amounts of food left over, which also tells you that there are clearly no teenage boys present at this miracle, <laughs> right? Because there is no food left over around teenage boys. Have you noticed this? Yeah? That's why we're going to get rid of more of our children. Okay, we're not ready. But there's an abundance. In fact, in Matthew's account of this, Matthew says that they all ate and they were satisfied. And that, that word is specifically chosen because the, the miracle is designed to point us somewhere. Jesus is saying, I can satisfy you. I'm the one for the, all your longings point towards. I can make sense of your life. I'm the one who satisfies your deepest needs. And then he says this, I am the bread of life. In fact, he says it three times in the passage. Again, I am the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. And he's so strong on it. And he kind of, it kind of like acclimatizes and grows as you go through that it gets to some point where some people are going to go, this is just too much for me, and they leave. It's like they just, they just can't cope with how stark he starts to make it, and they're like, I- I've just got to go. Church, I grew up in, I went to a Methodist church when I grew up, it was like a nice kind of traditional church, I guess. But they had a picture, I think, who, I think it must have been of Jesus, hanging in the kind of little room which was in between the worship area and the, and the, and the hall. And I don't know what the room was called. It had a church he named like the Vestibule or something like that. Anybody else go to churches that had odd names for rooms that I didn't understand when I was a kid? It's called a vestibule. I've never heard that word anywhere else in the rest of life, but in church, it's a normal word, apparently. So in the vestibule, there was this picture of a guy who was basically a hippie, basically. He looked like he'd just come out of Woodstock, and I think it was Jesus. 
Okay, and he's like pretty, pretty mellow. And he probably didn't have a little lamb, but he might have had a lamb or some kittens. And he's just chilled. Like, and that was my mental picture of what Jesus looked like. He's just like mellow. He, this, no, I'm not going to say that. I'm just going to lose my job if I say that. So, um, so, but he's looking pretty chilled. Okay? That's not what you get in the gospel when you read what Jesus is like. And in John 6, he's like ramping it up. And he's going, no, it's about me. I'm the bread of life. It's me, and some people are like, it's just, they just get to the point where they like some of what he's saying, but some of it, it's just too much, and they leave. And even though they had been fed miraculously, they've, they've experienced the feeding, they've fed and they've enjoyed it. Now Jesus is being so strong, they leave, and they leave, I want to suggest, because they only half understand. They, they kind of get it in part. They get him in part, and they get themselves in part, like where they are, and that's like a bit of a dangerous place to be when it comes to the gospel, because they only kind of half get it. So they, they understand this about themselves. They understand that they need some help. There are situations they can't solve. They, they're sick. They, they don't have much money. They're, they're very poor. Uh, they live in a country which is occupied by the Romans, so they're under occup- occupation, and they want them out, and there are certain circumstances they can't solve, and they they know that about themselves. They admit that. Part of becoming a Christian is admitting, I can't solve my own issues. So they understand that. And they also know that Jesus has power. They can see that. They're experiencing that. And, and they start to think, you know, he's a, maybe he's a, he's a prophet with power. And they start to think, maybe he's like Moses. And the story is meant to remind them of Moses, by the way. Because these people know their history. And their history is, you know, years, years, years earlier... Moses leads their people out of Egypt where they were slaves and they get out into the desert. And what happens in the desert? They get hungry. They have no food. And miraculously, God through well, Moses, but really God provides bread, manna for them out in the desert miraculously. Now, fast forward, Jesus, thousands of people in the desert, miraculously they provide bread. And it's like they're thinking, ah, he's like, this is like Moses again. This is all happening again. This is the guy. They're thinking he's a prophet. He's got power. And they put the two things together and they think this. Jesus could be the guy who could really be useful for us. We have issues. He has some power. He can heal and he could, we could make him king. And he could get us out. He could get the Romans out. He could be useful for us. In other words, he could solve the circumstances we can't solve. And sometimes we can treat Jesus like that. We think of Jesus as someone who maybe could solve the things that we can't solve. He could be really useful to me. Like there's, there's this area of my life which is fine. I don't need any involvement from you in that. I'm fine. In fact, this area of life I don't really want you to know about, although you probably already do know about it. But I certainly don't want to line it up with you. So I'm just going to do my thing over here. I'm going to date this person. I know it's not appropriate, but, I'm, I, but I could really do with your help when it comes to this job. Can you open up the job for me? I know, I know, I know about that, but I want your help over here, and you could be useful. I, I, I don't need your help everywhere. Please, not over there, but over here, I need your help, and he could be useful, and we do personally what they're doing, which is he could be useful for me. He could solve the circumstances I can't solve, and Jesus is basically saying in John 6, you don't understand who I am. 
Like, you don't get who I am. You, you, know, you, you don't want me. You want what I can do for you. In fact, he says, doesn't he, in verse 26, Truly, I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. In other words, you're coming after me because you enjoyed eating, but you didn't realize that it was a sign. They, kind of, they, un- they see the miracle, they experience the miracle, they don't understand what the miracle is all about. And so they go, oh, could we have another miracle? We'd like another miracle. And he goes, no, 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 you don't understand. It's a sign. It's supposed to point you somewhere. Signs are supposed to point us somewhere. It's a bit like, you know, if we, if we all went outside the church now, we all went out of the front and there's signs up saying King's Church, and we all stood out and we go, this is just a beautiful sign. Do you like this sign? I love that. I love that sign as well. It's a picture of Steve. <laughs> I like that sign. And the other side, oh, yes, yeah, really, let's have some more signs. I love these signs. Let's put some more signs up and we'd get Brett, who's in charge of comms. We'd put more signs up and we just hang out by the signs because we love the signs, but it means we never come inside. Because we're so busy hanging out by the signs. Because we love the signs. The signs are meant to point us somewhere. And Jesus is going, you saw the sign, but it hasn't point, you haven't followed through. You haven't understood that the sign itself is not the point. The point is it's supposed to point you towards the person who's giving you the sign. The sign giver. In other words, Jesus is saying, you want a bread provider. But he says, I'm the bread of life. I'm not here to give a bread pro- I'm not here to do that for you. you. You're made to orbit your life around me. You need all of me, in other words. You need all of me. You don't need a change of circumstances. You need a change of you. And Jesus knows how easily they were going to misunderstand him and kind of misread him and misread themselves. And he knows how easily we do that and how we creep into thinking, having wrong kind of thoughts about who he is and who we are. And that's why he's like super clear in this passage. He's going, no, 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 you need to know. You need to understand who I am and who you are. I'm the bread of life. In fact, you read through John's gospel. He does this again and again and again in John's gospel. He's going, no, 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 I want you to understand who I am. Often he picks out things like bread and water and light, fundamental physical things in our world that we need to live. And he goes, I want to tell you about them in relation to me. So in John 4, he meets a lady by a well. She's thirsty, and he comes up to her and says, he goes, like, I can give you water that if you drink, you will never thirst again. If you knew who you were talking to. And she's like, give me this water. She's not, she's not computing. She's still thinking physically. Oh, yeah, I'll have some of that. And he goes, no, 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 you don't understand who I am. And actually for her, if you read, the revelation grows for her. She's like, who's this guy? And then she's thinking, maybe he's a prophet. She gets there. And then later on, she's like, I'm going to go and tell everybody about him. And she gets there. John 8 and 9, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Okay? There's darkness everywhere. He goes, I'm the light. John 14, he says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Like that. People, know, people know that phrase, right? Have you any idea how stark phrase that is? That is like, I am the way. In other words, Jesus is saying, there is no other way other than me. Like in kind of modern thinking, that is incredibly arrogant claim. Yeah? If I got Neil up here to lead worship, and Neil starts by leading worship by going, I just want you to know, I am the greatest worship leader in the world. <laughs> It'll be like, I'm not sure that's true, but that's also a slightly arrogant claim. Okay, because we're like, man, that's a crazy. Jesus goes, I'm the way. Like, in other words, I am the only way. 
I'm the truth. I define what truth is. I'm the truth giver. I am truth, and I'm a life. In other words, there's no life except from what I'm sustaining and what I'm giving. No one comes to the Father except through me. It sounds, to modern thinking, incredibly arrogant as a claim. But actually, I want to suggest to you it's incredibly kind because Jesus is putting into stark focus what reality looks like. You don't need a bread provider. He says, Jesus says, you need me. That's the only way you get satisfied. That's the only way your life makes sense. That's the only way you get to the Father. I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I can give you water. That means you'll never thirst. And some people in this story, they hear Jesus. He brings it right out into focus, and they hear him, and they go, that is just too much for me, and they leave. And they leave because they don't want a savior. They want a helper. They want Jesus to be their helper. They want, him, they want Jesus to help them out when they feel that they need a bit of extra. And Jesus is saying, you don't just need a helper. You need a savior. But for others, rather than making them want to leave, Jesus' words makes them want to follow. You see, there's two responses in this story, right? It's either thousands leave, and thousands do leave. It's like Jesus is like not interested in just gathering thousands. He's not. He's like, thousands leave, most of them. 90, 95, probably 99% of the people in that story just, I'm going. Can't, it's too much. And then he turns. He says, he turns to the 12 and says, you going to go? You, gonna, you can leave. You know, I don't think he says, walk out the door, like, Anyway, that song. But anyway, but he's like, you going to leave with them? Have you, are you making up your mind? Because it's like they either leave or they follow. They stay and they start to kind of pursue. And, then, and Peter says these words. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you're the Holy One of God. It's like, he's like, he's like he kind of goes, where else am I going to go? Like, it's literally like he's saying, I've, I've exhausted all the other options. I've tried a whole bunch of stuff. None of them satisfy. I get a little kind of hit from them initially. There's an immediate, there's a kind of like, there's a little bit but it never stays, it never gives me what I want, and it just makes me more hungry. Where else am I going to go? So he says, I've tried all the other stuff, it doesn't work, but it's not just that. He doesn't just say, I've tried all that other stuff, so I'm sticking around. He goes, I've tried it, where else am I going to go? And then he goes, but we have come to believe. In other words, that over time, Peter has come to realize something. It didn't happen like that. There are moments where it gets clear for him. Other moments where he goes, I'm not sure Jesus. He doesn't fully understand who Jesus is. And then he gets to the point, he goes, over, I, we have come to believe. I've got to the point now. He says, you have the words of eternal life to know that you are the Holy One of God. Sometimes that, what, that is what a spiritual journey is like. For those who got baptized today, I suspect that was like for some of them. They may, they, may not, they may be now where they were not, if that makes sense. There is a point where you kind of go, I'm not sure about who he is. I don't even know if I believe in God. And then you go on a bit of a journey and you start to find out. And Peter went on a journey. He goes, we've come to believe something. I 
Where else are we going to go? Jesus tells a story in the Gospels about a man who finds a treasure buried in a field. And he's like, I've got to have that. Is like the, that's the best thing in the world. I've got to have it. But he says like, he can't afford it. So what he does is he makes a choice. He either walks away or he does something about it. He goes, I've got to have it. So he sells everything. Everything buys the field and has the treasure. And the, the point of the story Jesus is saying is, do you know, it costs you everything to be a Christian. You know, when you get baptized, what you're saying is, where else am I going to go? I've tried everywhere else. I've looked everywhere else. It doesn't satisfy. It didn't give me what I'm after. And actually, I've come to believe you are who you say you are. You have the words of eternal life. You're the Holy One. I'm happy to follow. I'm happy to lay my life down, give up my own agenda about my own life, and I want to live according to the way you want me to live. I'm happy to pay the price because I think you're worth more than everything. Jesus is saying in this story about the man with the pearl, he's like, you know, it's going to cost you everything to have this treasure, but this treasure is worth more than everything. That's what being a Christian is. It's not a cheap thing. It's not a casual thing. It's not a, oh, yeah, I'll bolt a bit of Jesus on, and I need a bit of Jesus to help me out. She's going, no, no, it's going to cost you everything. I'm the bread of life. It's going to cost him everything. He says, I'm going to cost me everything to open the door for you. It's going to cost you everything to come. But I'm worth more than anything. And when we get baptized, that's what we're saying. We're saying, I know it's costly to follow you, but I believe it's better than anything. As we close, I just want to say a few things to a few different people in the room. For some of us here today, we're here and we're like, I'm not sure that I believe this stuff. I'm not sure. I think, actually, you're on a little bit of a journey. You may not be there, which is fine, but we would encourage you to keep looking, keep searching, keep finding out. Because Peter says, we have come to believe. It took him a while. And it may take you a while. If you are here and you're thinking, ah, that maybe there's something in this. We would really encourage you to keep going. Try Alpha. Come to the Alpha course. Find out. Others, we're here and we're Christians, but the truth is our relationship with God has kind of shifted to the point that actually now he's quite useful for us. He's compartmentalized. And it's like, I don't really want you to have access to this part of my life, Jesus. And I say that you're Lord, but the reality is I'm happy for you to be Lord of the bits that I need help in. And I think there's a challenge where Jesus is saying to you, no, 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 you need to understand who I am and what I've come to do. And for some of us, it's like we may need to repent today and say, God, I'm sorry for like getting this totally the wrong way round. And I want you to have everything. And then I think there's for others of us here today, when we talked about the fact that Jesus cares about us physically and he's bothered about how we're doing, I think you just need to hear that. You need to hear God cares. He wants to provide. He knows. And you need to read Matthew 6 and own it for yourself. Think, oh, I believe it's true. He cares for me. Whichever way you are, or wherever you are on that, I want to encourage you to do exactly what Peter says. He says, where else am I going to go? And you just keep pressing in and finding out and asking for him to show himself to be all that he says he is. Let's stand together. Let the band can come back up. And we're just going to pray as they come. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this story and for your word. And I want to pray, Lord, as, 
Uh, as we've looked at it together, we want to, I want to ask that by your spirit in this room that you would help many of us in this room to take steps, either to find out more or for some of us just to, re, to acknowledge that maybe our hearts are not in the right place before you and that you are doing something in us and wanting to speak to us. And I pray for others who just are in a tough season. Lord, let there be great comfort knowing that you care for them, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.